0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's time for Inside EMS, and, uh, you know, we're still dealing with this COVID-19 virus, and everybody out there, I just want to thank you for the great work that you're doing. Every time I get on social media, every time I open a newspaper, every time I open a magazine, you know, just the work that EMS and healthcare is doing is just considerably inspirational. And uh, we know what we're up against, and our back's against the wall, and we're two-fisted as we, you know, move into the attack of how we're going to do our job and deliver the highest quality of patient care. And again, just the inspirational time of uh, this experience is is really motivating, and uh, I think we're all going to have to figure out where we're going to be in this uh, healthcare crisis and how we're going to be able to do the best that we can as providers. But talk about inspiration. Uh, Here he is. My partner and good friend, Kelly Grayson. KG, how are you holding up?
1: I'm good, brother. Working working hard. Um, actually, it's not hard work. Our call volume is down because, oddly enough, people don't want to go to the hospital right now for trivial things. Uh, it took a global pandemic to, to make it happen, but... Um, yeah, our, our volume's down a little bit, but we're um, or at least on my truck, but uh we're we're running majority of them are you know febrile people with with coughs and and uh, that's that's a bit um, uh, alarming uh, you, You're on your toes all the time, but otherwise i've been I've been dealing.
0: you know one of the things too is that Louisiana is is becoming you know a hotbed and I know that you're a few hours away from uh, New Orleans. But uh, you know, just make sure you kind of stay on the uh, you know on the right side of those PPE um, personal protection, and uh, you know we get you here every so often. So, but we know uh, we've let the audience know that of course you are in the uh, you know hotbed state, and you may be with yeah. us uh, as we move along. But if not, we're gonna we're gonna carry on without you. But uh, we know you're gonna be here in spirit.
1: Yeah, we just we've just had the major spike, brother. It's uh um, in the last 24 hours, we've had, uh, I, I haven't done the math, it looks like over a thousand new cases uh, in the last 24 hours and deaths up about uh, 70 or 80, 438 people on ventilators, 1,355 hospitalized, and, and my operations area has 65 active cases with one death. Um, so yeah. it's, it's getting sporty out there.
0: No, I hear you. So I just want to talk to the audience, though, a little bit about how we're going to move forward in this time of pandemic, because I think it's important that this is going to probably be the topics of shows for the foreseeable future. And we're going to kind of change the focus of how we're doing the shows. Initially, I want to give you the latest news that we have on a certain things. You know, today we're going to talk about CMS's uh, rule about transport, but it could be anything. So I'm going to kind of keep my eye on the news. Kelly's going to keep his eye on the news and we're going to start off the show with a little bit of uh, things that you guys need to be aware of, and then the shows are going to focus in three areas: clinical, operational, and living the experience and the day and the life. And uh, we may have guests for that. We've reached out to a lot of the folks that are out there who are doing the work, Kelly. And I think that uh, it's going to be really great. But before we get to our guest, I do want to talk about what happened yesterday that CMS sent out a rule that said that EMS providers, they have suspended the, uh, you know, where EMS providers need to transport to, and we know we can only go to the hospital, but now they've given us the opportunity to transport wherever we need to go and uh, you know get paid for that service. So if we need to go to an urgent care center, to a doctor's office, if we need to go to a tertiary care facility, if we need to take them to a SNF, uh, we have that opportunity. So if you're not familiar with that rule change, uh, the policy and regulatory revisions in response to COVID-19 in this public health crisis, Spend some time and look at that, because now we have the opportunity. Kelly just kind of tongue in cheek said people don't want to go to the hospital, but they still may need to seek medical treatment. Kelly and and we can now can take them to other places and uh, not have to worry about uh, it being an ear. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and that's. Um Boy, I, I didn't envision uh this being the test bed for uh mobile integrated health. <laughs> it looks like it's we're uh we're being pressed into service. Um this is uh depending on how this goes, this may be uh a big impetus to, to push that forward, you think? You know,
0: I, I certainly hope so. And and uh, in this environment, you know, and I've kinda said it on a couple shows that we're going to get recognition for the work that we're doing. You know, a lot of times people will joke that, uh, you know, we don't get a second glass or or the redheaded stepchildren joke or whatever it is. But I think now in this pandemic, we're really going to be recognized and and a rebirth for the the work that we're doing. And I got to tell you, if we don't make that happen, we are just going to be guilty in this process. Everybody's looking at EMS and this is the time for us to shine. But speaking about the time to shine, I want to bring our guest in here. Uh, He is one of those guys that uh, I think should run for the mayor of social media because his impact is so great. Uh, Tom Boothelay, he is the battalion chief of EMS from Hilton Head Fire Department. He's an expert in the uh, cardiovascular side of the business. And I think that Kelly and I have tipped our hat to Tom multiple times, times. many times. And Tom, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day and joining us on the Inside EMS podcast
2: it's always a pleasure i appreciate being here
0: you know tom i'm not joking i mean i follow you regularly kelly follows you regularly we talk about the things that you post and you know i think just from your side you it seemed to do a lot of research and you're you're kind of staying up on the latest things that are going on and and you made it how behind the eight ball in your opinion how behind the eight ball are we as to respond to this pandemic
2: Well, I mean, there's people on social media that have joked that if you wrote a manual how to do everything wrong during a global pandemic, we would have already ticked a lot of the boxes. So (laughs) I think, um, you know, we we um, didn't really take advantage of uh, January and February like we might have done if we if we understood that what was happening in Wuhan, China uh, was truly going to affect the rest of the globe. And uh, in particular, we didn't ramp up uh, testing. That was a major problem because it meant that we were unable to do confinement strategies with contact tracing. And all we had left was broad mitigation strategies like canceling St. Patrick's Day parades or closing schools or um, telling everyone to uh, observe social isolation inside their house. Now, those things are all very uh, important, and I think they are going to have an effect, but it's just um, one sign of a, a really obvious thing that we could have done to be prepared, along, of course, with ramping up production of personal protective equipment and N95 masks or higher level respiratory uh, protection uh, in general. So we did a few things that put us behind the eight ball. The situation is very serious. Um, some might say dire. And, uh, and it's going to be a long time before we're out of the woods. Um, that doesn't mean that the situation is hopeless. Um, the United States has been behind the eight ball before. Um, there was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and, and uh, for example. Um, it, sometimes we're late to get started, um, but once we unite and we can and must, as a nation, all pull on the rope in the same direction, uh, who knows, this may be the thing that, that unites America. We've been so divided politically um, for such a long time now, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe this will be the thing that makes us realize that we're all one human family, after all.
0: You know, I, you're the battalion chief of EMS, so I know that you, you know, are responsible for everything EMS for the Hilton Head Fire Department. How are you planning? I mean, what are you doing to ensure that your that your that your fire professionals are going to be safe during this pandemic? I mean, how are you guys addressing it?
2: Well, I mean, one of the ways we're addressing it is just formally, um, you know up our emergency operations center and using all of the lessons learned from things like hurricanes and natural disasters, we survived Hurricane Matthew. Um, we had a direct hit from, from Hurricane Matthew. Um, so, so, you know, we've been through um, other serious events before. Uh, in comparison, though, uh, COVID-19 is a much more complicated event. For a hurricane, you see it coming, it stays away Everyone agrees that it's a hurricane and that it's dangerous. Um, We have certain trigger points for our evacuation. The hurricane either hits or it does not hit. And then we come back and then we start our recovery effort. It's very linear. linear, It's very easy to wrap your mind around. COVID-19 is a lot different and it touches every segment of society and everyone has a role to play. And so the fundamental problem with COVID-19 is education because it's our elected officials It is our, you know, it's our senior leadership team. It's the men and women that put on a uniform every day and come to work to serve the community. But it's also the public and it's the healthcare system and it's the frontline healthcare professionals and it's even the discharge planners and things like that. So uh, the event is far more complicated. So we've done many, many different things to keep our our people safe. Um, I think the easiest way to think about what we're doing on Hilton Head Island right now. If you can imagine a Venn diagram with three circles and in the middle of that Venn diagram is sustainable operations. How are we going to maintain sustainable operations throughout this event? And it's going to be by taking care of our people, our places, and our equipment. So the way we take care of our people, for example, our EMTs and our paramedics and our dispatchers, that might be everything from our, screening and surveillance tool that we use um, before they come on duty to make sure that they aren't showing any signs and symptoms of COVID-19. That includes hand washing. It it includes frequent uh, decontamination of high-touch surfaces and things of that nature. It it includes really um, rigorous return to work policies and procedures because it's easy to tell someone not to come to work if they're not feeling well during a pandemic, but bringing them back is the key. That's, that's the key where you need to pay attention so that you don't have half your staff out on quarantine, for example. So that's protecting your people, protecting your places, for example, our fire stations um, that that again, that could be hand handwashing um, that could be wiping down high touch surfaces. But it's also leaving your boots outside, it's also doffing your uniform after a high-risk call. It's eliminating, it's eliminating fomites and tell, telling people to bring their own personal bedding and, and stuff and take it home. We don't want it in the fire station. We're going to assign you um, you know, two sheets, two blankets, two pillowcases in the morning. That's what you use for 24 hours, and you put it in the um, extractor on your way out the door. And so we're eliminating things that can host uh, or, or be a nidus for the uh, virus itself, and then it's our equipment. So how are we, um, we deconning our um, ambulances after a call? How are we deconning um, our equipment? How are we suppressing aerosols? How are we changing our protocols to be smart So that we're so all these things working together. I can't believe I left out PPE, appropriate training and access to personal protective equipment, appropriate donning and doffing procedures and things of that nature all go into protecting our people, too. So all these things, our people, our places and our equipment are all overlapping so that we have that sustainable operation for the long haul right in the center with everything, first and foremost, the health and welfare of our employees being first and foremost in every single thing that we do.
0: Well, let me just touch on that. I know Kelly's probably chomping at the bit to Mm -hmm. chat with you, but, you know, you talked about PPE and we know that it's a problem across the United States. I mean, how are you guys holding up with that? And do you have any plans uh, if things kind of fall away for you? Uh, We do.
2: Um, So we have six different levels of um, protection right now, and we call them level one through level six. Um, A level one would be just any emergency call. Could be a sprained ankle. It really doesn't matter. So that's a surgical mask, eye protection, uh, and gloves. And if you go into somebody's house, boot covers. That's like level one. Level two uh, would be that somebody has been flagged as either having flu-like symptoms or respiratory complaint. You would add a gown. Level three would be that ensemble with the gown, except instead of a surgical mask, um, you're wearing an N95. Um, That is right now... That is our main on. Oh, I'm sorry. And a bouffant. We've added a bouffant to protect their hair as well. Um, So, so the question is, how long can we sustain that with N95 masks at our current burn rate? Uh, And because our current burn rate is not is not going to be that way, we are really trying every single day to identify um, sources of N95 masks and. Um, and we think because we have so many lines in the water that we're going to hit really soon. Uh, we have two, three different avenues where we're expecting anywhere from 2,000 to 10,000 and95 masks, whichever one hits first uh, and then we'll all be able to breathe uh, a sigh of relief. Um, but if that doesn't happen, we're prepared to go to mask mounted APRs and um, it, and when that's done, our, our zombie apocalypse, plan is going to be tyvek suits uh and scbas which is the highest level of respiratory protection that we can offer but it's very logistically challenging so you can imagine yourself being on the fifth floor of a hotel working a cardiac arrest and five guys low air alarm goes off at the same time are you prepared to support logistics like that yes because i have an amazing department and the men and women that i work with are incredible yes we could it's going to be dangerous that doesn't mean we're not or it's going to be difficult That doesn't mean that we're not going to do it. So we hope it doesn't come to that, but we have contingency plans in place.
1: Speaking of of working cardiac arrest resuscitations on the fifth floor, and and, uh, uh, we all know you as the EKG Yoda, but you're also a a well-respected resuscitationist as well. So what different uh, are are you taking any different approaches to uh, resuscitation? Uh, right now, I know that some agencies are are finally coming around to uh, working on scene and not transporting. Um, and and I've gotten emails from people who have, whose agencies have forbidden them to work cardiac arrests. Period. Um, what is Hilton Head doing uh, any different during the pandemic? Uh,
2: we we're doing a lot different, um, and and the reason is that very early on. Um, we, we had to quarantine eight firefighters that responded to a uh, cardiac arrest call, um, worked the cardiac arrest on scene uh, to field termination. The, the patient did not respond to our efforts. And then afterwards, the battalion chief was speaking to the uh, surviving spouse, and it turned out that the gentleman had been at home with a severe case of pneumonia and had a negative influenza. So we were like, oh, God, you know, our, our folks ran in there. At that time, we weren't wearing even a, a surgical mask We thought we would just target our PPE for a person of interest based on the dispatch information. So this happened very, very early on to us. And we realized, okay, um, first due unit to a cardiac arrest needs to be wearing our full ensemble, including the N95 masks, because we don't really know the history of this event. Um, And, and, you know, we've always done field termination. Although we work, you know, 33% of the cardiac arrests that we work on Hilton Head Island are unwitnessed asystolic arrests we have 10 years of CARES data that shows that our survival, to hospital discharge for that cohort is zero. So, you know, we're throwing a lot of effort. We're throwing a lot of PPE at this event. Um, and we're telling them, you know, consider really minimizing the number of personnel you commit to an unwitnessed asystolic arrest, um, and consider early termination because our data shows that these patients have essentially reached uh, end of life. Um, So that said, um, we we send in the first crew with the full ensemble, with the N95 mask, with the bouffant, with the chute covers, uh, with the boot covers, rather, uh, with the gown. Um, They assess the situation. They start high-performance CPR. They see if they can ascertain uh, the history of the event. And then the other units arrive in staging and witnessed uh, VF arrest. Uh, the youngish patient with, um, a lot of life years to left and everything looks good. We're going to continue to bring to bear, um, our, our normal for the name of the game. It's the life that we chose and we're doing our best to be able to still treat people that need us, but, uh, minimize our exposure.
1: I have a, a follow-up question on that. You, you, you talked about years worth of data on, on the cohort of, of, uh, unwitnessed asymptotic arrests and the survival rate. Um, some of the people that have emailed me on this have, have, you know, been kind of up in arms. Oh, what? We're, we're not going to, uh, uh, work cardiac arrest anymore. Um, or, or, uh, Oh, so now my agency is finally evidence that, that, that those arrests are are unsurvivable, at least at your agency. Um, but, but quite a few others uh, are, are just being told um, like it's like it's bureaucratic fiat. Hey, just don't work these anymore uh, with no justification. Has anyone sought guidance with you on how to roll out that information to your providers or what kind of
2: feedback are you getting from everybody else? Um, you know, I think in, in our agency to be honest with you um we've been we've been working so hard at sudden cardiac arrest for such a long time we have a status board hanging up in our lobby at fire rescue headquarters we send out regular updates we're constantly retraining high performance cpr uh we're very transparent with all of our data and things like that so i think i have a very high level of trust from my staff uh that if we send something out like that like uh they're very used to being told what the data shows and and if we're going to modify something because we we have that continuous quality improvement feedback loop. So um, I, other than sending it out, our update for cardiac arrest, and I'm happy to show you guys a copy for the show notes, um, I don't think that that required much explanation. Our guys are really, really dialed in when it comes to uh, sudden cardiac arrest. Now, one thing I do worry about, though, is like in the resuscitation group on Facebook and other areas in social media, I think some people are losing their mind from the standpoint that COVID-19, um, that, that just like, they, they say it as if it's gospel fact. If you're in cardiac arrest because of COVID-19, then you're dead and there's nothing that can do. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Slow down, Tiger. Be okay, we, we, we don't know that. Okay, And so you remember that when you arrive on scene um, and a 16-year-old girl has cardiac arrest secondary to uh, COVID-19. If you think that your staff is going to listen to you and not attempt a resuscitation on a 16-year-old girl, uh, you're going to look like the fool when they just stop obeying you and do it anyway. So you have to be reasonable. Um, and, and we don't know who can and cannot survive COVID-19, because we just found out about this disease, you know, three months ago. So we, we don't have that deep level of evidence of, of who can and cannot survive COVID-19. So I would just urge everyone to just slow down a little bit. Unwitnessed asystolic arrest, we don't even need COVID-19 to have that conversation. Uh, yeah. And there's a there, there's a valid conversation to be had about, should we be using nebulized albuterol, or should be we, we should be using, you know, Some other medication and I am shot, whether it's epi or a tributaline or something like that. All those are completely valid conversations. Um, But you know what, there's a lot of smart people that are saying maybe a CPAP mask with the nebulizer. Uh, With a viral filter on the other end and a nasal cannula underneath at enough flow to meet the patient's inspiratory demand, we have not yet brought to bear all of our ingenuity to figure out how to safely treat these patients while protecting the providers in the back of the ambulance. So before your solution is, we're just not going to treat them uh, and go back to the days of the hearse and just throw their carcass in the back and haul uh, to the hospital and let someone else to worry about it. I would just urge everyone to just Focus on protecting their staff, but just slow down a little bit. With just assuming that all of our treatments are futile, uh, for the, these are still our friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members that need our help. And uh, yeah, the situation is complicated, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do our best and determine who really does need life-saving care in the back of an ambulance.
1: Great, great points all, Tom. And uh, follow up, um, are, you, uh, are you working those those hyperkalemic uh, arrests with uh, with that inline line albuterol never? or are you switching to something else?
2: Well, you know, we've always, you know, anytime you try and do in anything in EMS, you've got half the people on the Internet that want to tell you you're doing it wrong or it's stupid okay. or you don't have the right equipment or blah, blah, blah. It's easy to criticize an innovation out there. Um, you know, we, we, we still think that calcium gluconate, a lot of it is the, is the drug of choice for a hyperkalemic cardiac arrest. I think my staff does a better job than most recognizing hyperkalemia. Um, but to your point, there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different ways to do stuff and, 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 and none of us are experts. I don't think right now in treating COVID-19 and what I like to see. And one thing that is pretty cool is, you know, we are in the information age. And right now, what someone's doing in the back of an ambulance in Germany can affect what happens in the back of an ambulance in Los Angeles, like in seconds. And it's remarkable to see that exchange of information um, uh, on Twitter and Facebook, frankly. You know, every, every time I'm on the Internet and read something and shake my head and say, someone should put a stop to this whole Internet thing, it's really horrendous. Um, it's nice to see a really it, it being used for a greater good. And I see a lot of that happening right now uh, through social media. Um, and maybe that's because I've unfollowed or, or silenced everything else that to me is just um, it's not good for me right now to just witness some of the rancor that devolves on the Internet. I'm trying to focus on the positive and I'm trying to figure out how to do my best to uh, protect my staff and, and protect our citizens. And there's a lot of good stuff happening right now in social media. So that's nice to see.
1: Great thoughts all, Tom. And uh, it's great to hear what what uh, one uh, excellent agency is doing both clinically and operationally uh, in the face of this pandemic and I, I think we have some you, you've outlined some some possible models uh, for, for the rest of the country to, to follow or to at least consider operational you know uh, changes at their own agency but hey that's what we think we'd like to hear what you think how is covid 19 affecting your, your agency both clinical and and operational. What are you? What steps are you taking to protect your providers? What are you doing different clinically? What kind of logistical challenges is it posing for your agency? We'd like to hear your thoughts on the topic at the show at EMS1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabolaro and our special guest this week, EKG Yoda, Tom Buckele. Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. You guys calm down, take a breath through a particulate respirator, hopefully. And we'll catch you guys next week.